Hello and welcome to Good Listeners. It's a show where we talk about music. I'm your first listener, Randy, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Clay. Welcome to the show, Clay. Hey, welcome. How, how, how you feeling? To you as well. Um, I'm feeling great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Are you also slightly frazzled by the fact that we like, we decided we were going to like cook a whole dinner like an hour before recording a podcast, which is a terrible yeah, idea. I just scarfed down some chicken <laughs> breast. And yeah, I ate so much like protein yeah. like five minutes ago. So yeah, I'm a little frazzled. Um, you know, I'll do the same as usual work. Crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I'm a gym rat now. I went to the gym for the first time yesterday. Yeah. Um, which is like a it's huge for me. I've never been before. So yeah. my personality has changed overnight. Um and we 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 have not been recording so you did you did and i will say you did come home with like an intense energy today i can't where you were like sort of like what do you call you were like sort of like almost like pressing your arms but without you didn't have weights or anything you just came home with this like intensity um that i it's difficult to describe but it looked like you wanted to like either hurt something or just do some kind of physical labor i was excited um from the the endorphins i don't know how long those last after exercising i think i still had them today and, yeah and, could be um to record the podcast again it's been a few weeks and we have a, a prestigious guest um we do we do and, and we should we should get to that soon pedro the lion which i'm very excited to talk about yeah um so overall i'm just kind of amped up man how about yeah. yourself how are you uh you know i'm also like there's um sorry stifling a burp there um there's there's like too much to do at work right now um and i got kind of i got kind of like <laughs> i got kind of pissed off today honestly because this guy this guy came one of my co-workers came and he like took a bunch of he like took a bunch of stuff from my station at work without telling me and so i just didn't know that i like didn't have and he also this is the same guy who does the orders on sunday and he didn't order some of the ingredients that I needed today uh, mm-hmm. to prep food. Um, so I was pissed about both of those things. And he used up like all of my shit and just didn't say anything to me about it. Um, and so as I'm like trying to leave work, I realized that like my shit is gone from my station. And I'm like, well, who took it? They're like, I can't say his, I don't want to say his name on the podcast, but this guy took it. And then I realized, well... I don't know if I even want to get into this. This is kind of some dark shit, but this guy. But we're <laughs> Sorry. here. Sorry we're going to talk that. about a good uh, band, a good album. Maybe we can even cut out the last part of the thing I no, said. No, no, uh, no. no. <laughs> oh, but, uh, you know, there's one there's one more thing we do before we start the show normally, which is Cock Talk. Right, uh, cock, I made you a Manhattan. Um, um, uh, for yeah. the sake of our guest, I'll say Cock Talk is not talk about our cocks. It's talk about our cocktails. Um and he's he's motioning that he understands um he has also changed his background i'm enjoying his background yeah um uh, i made you a manhattan i would just like to know are you enjoying it this is maybe my first manhattan i'm gonna sound like a dumbass frat guy but it kind of tastes like fireball to me is it supposed to taste wow uh that would that would be i guess you know whiskey angostura could be a little bit fireball-esque i could see that and then the sweet vermouth, yeah, you know, spicy. sweet, um, like bourbon uh, with with kind of a cinnamon clove spice to it. No, I, I can kind of see that. You did a bang up job and, and thank <laughs> you. 
what are you doing? We got it. We got to get this. Okay. 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 I'm, I'm drinking my favorite drink. It's a Negroni. It doesn't matter. And we will ask our guests, uh, if he is, I saw him sipping something. I don't know what it was, but we'll ask in a second, our guest today to talk about Pedro the lion, uh, is a podcaster host of rounding down. He is a hot sauce, uh, aficionado. He is a dad. Uh, he is a fan of the movie Moana. It is Chid. Welcome to the show, Chid. Hello. Thank you for having me. Very excited <laughs> to be here. I am most of those things, uh, especially the dad thing. I just <laughs> I thought I was going to be late because I was putting uh, my son to bed just before this. Uh, you'll never believe it, but we were listening to the Pete the Cat soundtrack, which I don't know if you guys, I'm guessing you're not familiar Un- with. Unfamiliar, yeah. <laughs> Elvis Costello and KT Tunstall and a bunch of other people are, oh. are involved in that show, which is interesting. It's a good yeah. show. I mean, that anyway, good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let me just say a couple things. First of all, right. what I'm drinking tonight, it's never too early for one of these. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't yeah. see it. Well, <laughs> it's a, a root beer. Oh, uh, there you excellent. go. A, a dad soda. Yep. Uh, and uh, that's that's what I'm doing. Secondly, I, I know you mentioned earlier that you had some chicken titties before we got on this call. We did. Um, I didn't realize you guys were were living together, but that's uh, I love it. It's really it's really sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it'll be fun while it lasts. Um, yeah. Me. Yeah. Me and my partner are moving in the next few months. So it's you know, we're in this little window of of uh domestic bliss yeah me and my co-host it's nice i mean we've lived together for what like three years now we've been like best friends since like kindergarten um so well i would have said preschool but i that shows me how you felt back then i don't think i really shows me how you you felt in preschool (laughs) um hey fair enough fair enough i was uh, a little precocious yeah no it's it's been it's it's been nice it has been very sweet um yeah and uh it's great because we we get to like hear the music that we're listening to and I get to come home and we're listening to the same thing because we agreed to talk about it on the podcast. So I just hear it kind of over and over again. Yeah. Um, it's, it's mm. a lot of, it's a lot of fun. Um, mm. And even, even, even before you mentioned that shit, I was going to, I was thinking before we got on the, cause we were like rushing to start the show. Cause I was like, God, I do not want to waste Chid's time. Um, oh, please. <laughs> I'm plenty capable of wasting my own time. Have you heard Rounding Down? Yeah. Um, but but it's like it's insane to me that you are able to to be a dad and do a podcast also because we don't have any fucking responsibilities besides our jobs. And we still like it's a struggle to get this thing done we, most we of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll let you know. So here's a secret that I will let you in on that I learned when I was like probably 26, 27, mm-hmm. which is that the more I do, the more I'm able to do. Like if I mm. basically if I'm exercising every day and I'm like writing and I'm like doing creative pursuits and taking care of my house and whatever. I'm able to fit in and way more reading, way more watching things I'm interested in, whatever the fuck. Like I can, the more shit I can fit into a day, the more I, I yeah. tend to get done. No, hmm. that, that where, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The, the inverse is also true where days where I'm just like, I'm just going to do nothing today. Like in, in the event, my kids are um, with their grandparents, for example, are not here uh, and I do nothing. I'm really capable of doing nothing, but then, uh, like, you know, 
watching six hours of Seinfeld and playing Nintendo Switch uh, is not, you're not really accomplishing a lot when you do that. And so sometimes it's what you need to do, but, uh, yeah. but that is a thing that I, uh, you know, would be prone to do if I didn't kind of motivate myself to get a whole shitload done. So, yeah, anyway. that's something that does sound like a pretty good day. Though. I'm, I'm discovering yeah. at the age of 26 is yeah you know I, as i said i'm a gym rat now so i'm exercising yeah. you you um, went to the gym one one time trying trying to do more other than come home from work and like scroll through twitter and, and basically do it, it it's great I, I i thought i wouldn't like it i'm doing more i'm i'm i, I finished game of thrones i'm making my way through the sopranos i'm reading books um yeah what, what book are you I'm, reading i'm not editing the podcast what what book are you reading i'm reading a few i mean uh, i'm reading this jonathan franzen novel oh the, the, nice the, i was gifted the corrections for, the crossroads i was oh, okay the new one new one i was gifted for christmas um it's quite good um Interesting. M- mostly mostly just that i have some some comics and 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 whatnot um but yeah not as much time to to game and listen to podcasts but you know that's uh that's turning 26, I guess, right? Okay, that's just being 26, baby. You what, start the reading thing that, Jonathan Franzen. That's true. That is what you start doing at 26. What I will say is that the, there is a real... Sh- uh, I mean, I experienced a real level of shock going from like high school and then into college and then the workforce in the sense that you don't... I mean, when I was in college anyway, I had so many fucking free hours every day that I would just do whatever the stupidest bullshit with. Like, oh, yeah. I can't even tell you the amount of hours I spent watching the show next on MTV at like three in the morning with, <laughs> with one of my roommates. Or just be like, three in the morning. And it'd be like, Pat, what are you doing? He's like, watching next. You want to watch next with me for two hours? And I'd be like, yeah, let's watch next till the sun comes up. And then let's go to the calf and have some home fries. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. And that would be, you know, like where. Um, so once you erase the ability to do that sort of thing and you have a nine to five, it's, uh, it's tough. It's harder to fit stuff in and, and I get it. I mean, I think that Mm -hmm. like at the Twitter, I didn't get on until I had been out of college for quite a few years already. It didn't, it didn't actually exist when I was out of college, which is, uh, hysterical to think about, I guess now in retrospect, I think it was, it came out a couple of years after I was out of college and, um, so yeah, but the there were lots of ways that we wasted time. Like I had a roommate that where we would play FIFA together or Halo Reach or whatever um, for hours mm-hmm. on end. And so uh, I don't know. I I miss those days also. Now it's I feel like I have so many productive things I need to do every minute of every day. Um, that's part of being a dad, I guess. But. You're kind of like, oh, I got to fit in time to play with my kids. Got to make dinner. Got to clean up after dinner. Got to pick up a million stuffed animals that are all over my living room. You know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So a real treat. Um, Speaking of being a dad, this record uh, by Pedro the Lion, Havasu, um, Pedro the Lion, David Bazan, is a dad. He's a a two-time dad like myself. Mm -hmm. Um, This record, what I'll say is the headline for this record is, congrats, you finally made an emo record. Oh yeah! Wow, I could okay, okay. Pedro the Lion's first emo record. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, because Mm. even though in Mm. 1998, 99, 2000, 2001, so like his first couple records were on Suicide Squeeze, and then got reissued by Jade Tree in like the early 2000s, 2001 or so. I want to say. Um, so that was when uh, it's hard to find a friend, and um, the only reason I feel secure, I think, which is an EP, got reissued by Jade Tree. And um, 
so he was on Jade Tree in like the era where Jade Tree was like very firmly one of the major emo labels that existed. But I, it was absolutely not emo music. It like didn't tonally. It was very different from everything else on that label. It obviously also wasn't hardcore. They also had hardcore bands at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very strange that he got lumped in with emo in a lot of respects. But this record is what I'll call my favorite type of emo where um, like I think when people think of emo, they're thinking of I'm, well, at least I am. I think of like kids who are like 24, 23, 22, 19. Uh, talking about their current feelings Mm -hmm. and that can sometimes be really um, interesting but also there's not a lot of uh, objectivity I guess about what they're going through whereas this Mm -hmm. is a record about him looking back on being 12 to 14 yeah and so there's a fuck ton of objectivity he's very it's very introspective and it goes way deeper than I think um I don't, you know, most emo records would dare. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, incredible uh, segue. That's why you're the pro uh, at podcasting. Um, <laughs> this is this is a podcast where we talk about music, and we should be doing that. Um, and and yeah, I guess um, you do make, yeah, you make you make a very interesting point. I do think I agree with you. Um, I think that they did get they did get hit with like the double whammy of like the words you don't want said about your band, which is emo and Christian. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I feel like that is maybe why Pedro the lion has never connected quite in the way that they, in my opinion, at least probably deserve to. Yeah. Um, I think he's a, Um, you know, a very strong songwriter. Um, I've not, there's a couple records in the middle of the career that I've honestly never listened to, which is, you know, that's on me, not him, but, um, and I should, I meant to get around to them in the last week and just didn't. Um, but I do want to maybe start off the, the, the discussion with just like, where did you, where did you first hear Pedro the lion at what time in your life and, and what's kind of your relationship with his music? Oh, uh, so I first heard Pedro the lion when I was, Jeez, I must have been 16, 15 or 16, um, probably 16. And I think that I heard the song Big Trucks, which I believe I downloaded from mp3.com, uh, which was a website that existed. If you go there now, it's not there. Go to the Wayback Machine and, and look it up. It's pretty funny. But it was a website where like basically indie labels would put like singles from bands that you would mm. download for free. Mm. And so I had a whole bunch of tracks from mp3.com that were in, you know, by bands of various and differing reputation. So the thing that's interesting about this is like in Internet 1.0, there was no sense of like without streaming music and without like metrics, there was no way of knowing like how popular Pedro the Lion was in comparison to Dashboard Confessional, in comparison to Junior Corduroy, in comparison to The Kissing Book. Those mm. last two bands, you guys haven't heard of them, guessing, right? <laughs> no. But Correct. they were like also on mp3.com. And I was like, oh, these bands are good. So anyway, my point being, like, without going to a show or without going to shows for each of these bands, you would have no idea how to how to compare them at the time. So it was a, a very mm. funny um time for the internet in that respect. But anyway, big trucks I I grabbed uh and I was like, Oh, this is a good song. It's an good interesting song. like yeah. uh story song. And it was like I think probably calling it a hit is stupid because calling anything a hit that has never been played on the radio is ridiculous, but it was probably his first hit. I'll just say, Mm. um, where like, that's like probably one of his early super catchy songs. 
Yeah. And so I was an early uh, early fan of that first record, the first um, that first Peter the Lion record. Uh, and so um, it's hard to find a friend, I believe, which originally came out yeah, in yeah. 90, 98. Um, and so, you know, this is like four years after or three or four years after that record came out. 2001, we'll just say. And I was in 2001, 16. So um, it, a record from 1998 seemed like it was from 1973 to me at that point, mm-hmm. as you can probably imagine, like when your sure. life is so short, like something three years earlier, like, oh, man, I feel so adult listening to this old record, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, Randy, not unlike how you probably felt about when you found The National, uh, <laughs> the as, 100%, as we talked about, yeah. <laughs> you were like, oh, this old, I, I'm very mature now. I'm listening to The National. Yeah. Um, but so I was I was into him a lot. And then uh, I followed his career very closely. I remember the day Control came out. I was like very stoked for Control and listened to that a ton. And that was his post 9-11 like yeah. uh, American Greed, the world sucks shit kind of record. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the thing that's interesting with Pedro the Lion to answer your question more fully, I think a lot of people who got into this band around that era were into the band because like they played at cornerstone every year they were a christian band like they were mm-hmm. covertly mm-hmm. a qu- christian band they weren't on a christian label ever like they were on suicide squeeze and they were on g tree mm-hmm. um so they they weren't like you know they never they were on like mass market labels they didn't play on on christian labels or anything but he played cornerstone every year with a band um and he would tour with other bands that were like semi-christian bands or whatever and so i like had a, a couple friends who were like evangelical adjacent who were like into Pedro the lion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was never, I didn't grow up with religion at all. I had no interest in the religious aspect of this band, which is a very funny place to begin with. I just thought that like, yeah. he's a good lyricist and stuff. And I know that there's like a deeper, um, there's another, there's like a religious layer to some of these lyrics that right, I, at the yeah. time was like, I, I don't know what this, any of this shit means and you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so that that was where I started with Pedro the Lion. Then I remember when I got to college, uh, uh, one of my friends who listens to my podcast every week, um, one of my friend Jerry, I saw him and he was wearing a Pedro the Lion hoodie, like the classic um, Pedro the Lion J Tree hoodie at the time, the classic lion logo, faceless lion. And I was like, oh, that guy's going to be my friend. And then he was my friend, friends for life. We started a record label later. Anyway. Um, so I, I was like, uh, I was very into, to Pedro and I saw them live, uh, at David Bazan and Pedro Lyon, probably, I don't know, 12 or 14 times or something. I could tell you the exact wow. number of times I saw them in college, but I've, I saw them a whole shitload of times. Like every time they were in the Boston area, I saw them mm-hmm. basically, including a show where, uh, at the Middle East downstairs in Cambridge, where the fire alarm went off in the middle of the set and this was like in 2002 just or 2000 no 2004 just say so it was like not long after the station fire which was in rhode island where i grew up and Mm -hmm. super close to my house so like everyone freaked the fuck out like in a way that you don't want to happen at a show so people were like sprinting to the fire eggs it was it was not a good scene this is at a pedro lion show <laughs> oh my god oh, so like the like the like guy at the mixing board was like it's probably just an alarm everyone clear out but like go slow like he like was trying to like make sure no one yeah. got trampled basically mm-hmm. so we all had to file out it was like in feb it was like a february show it was fucking freezing out and my coat was at coat check as was everyone else's coat and so uh, we were standing outside in the, like, you know, four degree weather for a half hour while the fire department came and then they cleared it. And then 
did Bizon to his credit was like, all right, I got like eight more songs. You guys want to listen to eight more songs? <laughs> <laughs> that rules. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so that rules. anyway. Yeah. Man, concerts with Kochek, that's a whole different experience uh, that I have never had uh, living in Florida my whole life. Yeah, you, you wouldn't need. I think that was the thing when, when I went to in Rhode Island, like uh, when I was a kid going to shows in high school, like our clubs didn't really have, there were no clubs with Kochek. And mm-hmm. then when I got to Boston, I mean, especially in Cambridge, it's like, yeah, like there's Harvard students who go to shows here. Of course, there's a coat check. Like you can't have your four dollar <laughs> while people are drinking beer around you. Yeah. Like why would you do that? Yeah. Um, just MIT students here. Like you, you gotta have a coat yeah. check. Yeah, uh, that's that's interesting. As a Floridian, I I can't remember the last time I went to a concert without completely sweating through everything I'm wearing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. R.I.P. Soundbar. Um, oh, the man. sweatiest venue in Central Florida. That was nice. So, uh, how what, what are you guys' history with Pedro yeah, or with David Bazan? So, mine is like pretty recent, uh, honestly. Like 2019, when Phoenix came out, it just was on my radar, and I kind of heard heard of Pedro the Lion, but I had not really, aside from a couple songs, dug into them because at the time when Pedro the Lion was really operating in the early 2000s, I was a little boy. Um, Mm. And I was uh, um, raised religiously. So I was listening to Switchfoot and Reliant K and like actual like Christian (laughs) punk bands. Uh, So I was not listening to like indie rock that was like very critical of Christianity, Mm. Um, (laughs) which is um, it's interesting, like about Pedro the Lion, because so I've like really been digging in the past month or two just because this album came out. And between this and Phoenix, I really liked the both of them. So I was just like, it's time for me to, to dig back. And once I started, I couldn't really stop. Like I've been through all of the albums multiple times, all of his solo work multiple times um, and just dug into interviews. I paid for a New York magazine subscription to read <laughs> a, recent, a recent interview he did um, about this album. Um, I, I it's like I've listened to so much backlog of Page of the Lion, like to the detriment of me really digging into this album honestly although i have listened to it a, a bit um yeah it's really it's easy i've only been into them for a couple of months but it's like uh connected with me very strongly one of my favorite bands now maybe that's recency bias speaking but i, I think so i think i can say that um so yeah but it's interesting about page of the lion how they got so lumped in with that christianity label when i, I was looking back and he kind of talks about how he's like a Christian in the same way that Martin Luther was a Catholic. It's not like he was making music to be religious. He was just kind of unpacking these emotions he had. And then yeah, his uh, relationship yeah. with the institution. And then ultimately I think to kind of speak to what you were saying, Randy, about him, like not really catching on. I feel like it seems like he went, he sort of stopped doing the page of the line stuff and went very like, I don't know, insular, like just started, kind of being very like personal and doing the David Bazan stuff when it would have caught on like around 2006. Yeah. Like when that he really could have found a place to go to the next level, but that's when he, uh, for various reasons felt like the, the name page of the line was a burden and the way he was doing things was um, not something he could keep doing. And then he made this sort of several years later, this like breakup album with Christianity, which um, you should, listen to curse your branches it's it's very good in my yeah. opinion um, yes yeah. so you make a good point because where he the interesting thing i'll say about that is so 
context for David Bazan, the singer songwriter behind Page of the Lion and the only real like constant member of the Page of the Lion band forever, mm. basically. Um, he grew up the son of an evangelical minister, right? So mm -hmm. Havasu lyrically talks, there's like a more than, there used to be somewhat oblique references to like his actual childhood and relationship. And like, he didn't write things that were personal in a direct way, I would say until fairly recently, mm -hmm. um, fairly recently, like the last decade, probably. And, um, maybe a little more than a decade, maybe 15 years. But anyway, uh, so what is interesting about um, that is evangelicals, like, and you guys probably know this, but people who are evangelical, like th their identity, like being evangelical is not like part of their identity. That is their whole identity. Like that's mm -hmm. part of the church is like, your faith is not ornamental. Your faith is your being, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he grew up with this idea about his faith being his whole being. And I think that that is um, why his music and why he seems to struggle so much with faith and why that has been such a big and challenging thing for him in his life. Mm -hmm. um, that's not a thing that I have firsthand experience with, but it's been very interesting watching him go through that through his music over the course of the last like decade or so, a little more than a mm -hmm. decade. Uh, what I will say is that one of the like kind of central tenets of Christianity is like suffering. That's a big piece of Christianity. And I'm sure Clay, you're very familiar with that, but like people basically self-flagellate or, or make themselves suffer because they feel like they're not worthy of God's love or whatever the fuck. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but so to your point about how, like basically he dissolved page of the lion after Achilles heel, which was like as accessible a page of the lion record as there probably ever could have been mm -hmm. at the time in 2000. Uh, I don't know what year that was 2006. Probably that record came out 2005, yeah. six in that range. And so he dissolved Pedro the Lion right then and there, like at the same time as Death Cab for Cutie, a band that he would occasionally play with. It was also from the Pacific Northwest, like became a huge mainstream concern. Mm -hmm. Like that was 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9. That was like as big as indie rock is ever going to be, essentially. Right. And he yeah, he does this semi self-defeating thing where he dissolves his band, starts using his own name. And honestly, if you just look on Spotify right now. Pedro Lion has like 1.2 million monthly listeners. David Bazan has like 200,000 monthly listeners. So David Bazan put out like four records under his own name or five records under his own name uh, that were way less popular than Pedro Lion records, even though it's the same music. It's just mm -hmm. purely a branding thing, pretty much. And what, then he also uh, started doing these. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Chid. I'm just going to, I'm going to correct you only to underline your point, which is, David Bazan has 25,000 monthly listeners. Pedro the Lion has 137,000 monthly Thank listeners. Thank you. Sorry. I sorry. I multiplied that all by <laughs> not, 10, but not, yes. not yeah. Not a million. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I was talking about new metal last night on my show, so I uh have inflated <laughs> these numbers to be Hoobastank numbers. So, um <laughs> but yeah, he it basically like so yes, he's four times more popular as Pedro the Lion as he is mm -hmm. by himself essentially, right? Yeah. And, and so that is telling and interesting. He also stopped doing like club tours for a few years. He just yeah. did what he called living room tours where he would like book a show at someone's house, play in their house acoustically more or less. And, and they would like, you know, sell tickets to 18 to 20 people or however many people could fit in their living room. Now, of course, you'd get 100% of the profit from that. So like in, in a sense, it's like the club is not taking, you know, 60% or whatever the fuck. But by doing that, I think there's also a portion of that where it's like he had to put himself through a much harder and more rigorous schedule because 
Mm-hmm. He's try- still trying to like feed his family, you know, who's married at the time, no longer married. But I, I just think he like went on this sojourn of like punishing himself for losing yeah, his faith, essentially. T- totally. That's and that's baked into yeah, evangelical Christianity is just the complete denial of the self. And I feel mm-hmm. like that that really shines through in his music. And yeah, to the point where he'd barely even talked about himself in his music until yeah, I mean under the Pedro the Lion name, not until the this project where it's explicitly about himself yeah. and his childhood. Um, and and Phoenix as well, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. This yeah, project, yeah. The like, oh, I, I see what you're yeah. saying. I see what you're the saying. The five Sorry. album thing that he's doing. Yeah, Because um, yeah. before that, there was concept albums about you know narrative stories, like um, yeah. and yeah, other things. So um, yeah, even though it is new to me, this whole journey, it's been really, really fascinating to just go through piece by piece and just he he's really. Um, got a neat discography to dig into if, if you haven't listened to him because of like how he's developed as a songwriter and just as a person um yeah it, it's been it's been it's been fun yeah i think that's true and um yeah for me like control was always the record i i found control when i was like in high school and it was like one of those things where like uh i mean sort of like what julian baker i think is probably to kids now where like you're sort of like a a reforming christian kid or like a a christian kid who's sort of reintegrating into into society uh (laughs) that like you it's one of those artists who you can run into who is accessible to you but is also writing about things that are like intensely relatable to you um and that's that's one of the control was one of those records for me now i feel like um like the pedro the lion record is it's hard to find a friend um but Control will always have a very special place in my heart, but we're here today to talk about Havasu, the new record, which we have not hardly talked about at all. Right, right. Um, and it's a record that I actually think is really great and and hits me really hard, um, which is, I think, I think that maybe some people would make the argument that it, you know, maybe it's kind of easy to hit people hard when you're talking about the, you know, it's it's like a guy and I'm, you know, a guy and he's singing about being in middle school, you know, like those years are very visceral for most yeah. people, I think. And so if you just have somebody who has even a little bit of a similar experience and they write something that is true about living through middle school, it's going to hit you kind of hard. Yeah. Um, this, this five album project is but... the boyhood of, of um, indie rock. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's, and it's going to be so, it's going to be so canceled just like boyhood um canceled? <laughs> was boyhood canceled no, no i'm making a reference we had this friend who hated that movie basically okay, okay. because it was about a boy it was a very silly uh it was yeah. a very silly thing um that doesn't matter <laughs> to this conversation <laughs> um but yeah i mean particularly this song first drum set like uh just because my i mean literally my second instrument that i learned to play was drums yeah um after being like kind of forced to play like take piano lessons for many years um i finally got my own first drum set yeah and that kind of changed my life also so that uh song um, that song hits me pretty hard uh hearing him sing about that stuff is very similar to my experience at that age um that one stood out to but, me as well yeah yeah it's it's very emotionally potent to I me like for music people like aside from being a bit of a rock and tune 
it's a rocking tune um, it, yeah it, uh i was a band kid in middle school and that i feel like there's just sort of universal experience where if you yeah. did band like you have this thing where you go around and you like try to like make a noise on an instrument and whatever you make the loudest noise on they assign you <laughs> that instrument yeah and my my experience was everyone wanted to do percussion so it's kind of interesting to hear that, that he was clarinet and then switched to percussion because that's what was available it sounds like um yeah um yeah because he wanted yeah he yeah. wanted saxophone and couldn't get it yeah that's how i got stuck playing the baritone horn and like my dad would like i think like not on purpose but would like always just be like man i wish you played the saxophone the ladies would love that <laughs> i'll be like yeah that's what i wanted to play too but i couldn't make a noise on <laughs> so yeah. they made me play this um, that's it's yeah i think you're right though i think that probably the time period he's talking about obviously saxophone was hot there's a uh, a lot yeah. of uh where you know he talks about he wanted to play it when after uh hearing the heat is on essentially is in the song mm-hmm. and so um yeah i don't know I, I but yes i think that uh that song is great it's a very um it's like a self-reflexive song where it starts very slow and then mm-hmm. there's no drums in it and then it the drums kick in uh when he gets to starting to play them and it, the tempo speeds up and it's very lively and mm-hmm. uh i think that that's a really cool song and a very interesting song um I, I, the whole record. So what I will say is the first time I listened to this record, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. I feel a little bit like I don't I don't know how much of it grabs me because a lot of it is more down tempo than um, it's, it's pretty sparse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then but listening to it a lot more. So I think you asked me to do this last week or the week before. Mm-hmm. I've listened to it a shitload since then. And I love this record. I think that it's one that I mean, this is true of all of his records, to be perfectly frank. They all benefit from repeated listens because he the way 100%. that his, he does arrangements and stuff and lyrics and everything, like when you pay close attention to certain things about his songs, you pick up on so much more than you maybe would have originally. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I think that this record, like uh, I didn't I wasn't aware the first time I heard it of this five record project, because I think that's the thing he's only talked about in interviews. And I, and I don't mm-hmm. I actually I don't know for sure if that was his plan when he made Phoenix um, or, okay. you know, or like, I'm not sure. Cause Phoenix came out in 2019, I want to say yeah, a, a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I was like, uh, yeah, I, I first drums. It was the first song that caught my ear on this record as well. Cause I think it's, it's maybe the one that stands out the most. Um, but I, I don't know. I really love this whole record. It's only a 10 track record. So it's like a, it's pretty breezy. It's, it's under 40 minutes. Um, as Pedro the Lion records go and as David Bazan records go, it's, it's fairly, it's fairly quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Teenage Sequencer, the follow the fourth track yeah. uh, is like, is really good. I think that that yeah. song is like probably among the best he's ever written. Uh, and the chorus of that, like he says, uh, will I always be a teenager now? I think the thing that's interesting about this record is so he he and his wife divorced at the beginning of COVID, mm-hmm. um, and they had you know there had been he's if you look at Pedro the Lion interviews or David Bazan interviews over the years, there's been various things about the relationship. Like she stayed with her faith, he left his faith. Mm-hmm. He obviously had a very bad drinking problem at a certain point. I don't know. I think that he's nipped that in the bud and is no longer drinking at all. Mm-hmm. But like there's various things that he's talked about fairly openly because that's the kind of person he is. Um, and he posted on Twitter when he and his wife divorced and uh, 
Yeah, I think that there's a certain way that you can listen to this record in the context of his current life where um, a lot of the like heartache stuff on this record, though it's about him specifically being a preteen and teen. Also, I think there's a, so much of it is informed by his current situation, being in a marriage that is dissolved. And, yeah. Um, and kind of maybe seeing the way that he approaches love and and maybe the flawed ways he's done that over the years. I think there's, that's why there's like more resonance to some of these lyrics. Um, yeah, anyway. I, th- I think that's a great point. It's not just him making a, an album about the time that he lived at Lake Abazoo and was 13 and 14. It's him like unpacking that at the age he is now, um, which is fascinating. I mean, I am 26. If I tried to write like songs about when I was 13 and 14 years old, I remember like a few things from being 13 and 14, but like not, not that many. Um, yeah. I, I feel like personally, I like, I'm not in a place emotionally where I'm like ready to uh, remember stuff yeah, from that time period. You're, you're, you're you Havasu is ahead like, of you. There's a few uh, more yeah. years of therapy that need to happen before I get well, there. I, I think um, too, like there's a classic saying that people are not, uh, a thing that I've heard multiple therapists say is like men in their twenties, not ready for therapy yet men in their 30s come <laughs> running that's when they they line up yeah, yeah. fair yeah. enough fair enough <laughs> fair enough I mean, yeah i yeah. <laughs> sorry clay i didn't mean to cut you off no no go um i had i had yeah a similar arc with this record where like especially it, it comes in kind of kind of wild with that first track don't want to move where it's like the this like very sparse arrangement with this very dark sounding bass uh line that's that's going through most of the track and it this record kind of reminded me of like recent era mountain goats a little bit Mm. where there's like a lot of like the the songwriting is very strong and the records sort of reveal themselves to you over time and repeated listens like you were saying um but on the first couple listens there is this weird kind of like at arm's length quality from the sort of dark sounding chord progressions uh heavy emphasis on on bass and sparse arrangements and just giving the the vocals like a lot of space to breathe so you really have to kind of like sit down and, and kind of listen to it it's not it's not really casual listening um, yeah which which i think has its place and like i i've grown to love this record over the last you know however long since it came out um yeah yeah, gen- yeah month i guess um and and I love it now, but it's I think it's going to be you know it's a record that's that I think is not going to immediately be appealing to everyone. Yeah, it's definitely his like quietest record, you know, um, and like one of the slower ones. Even though he tip, he does like slow indie rock, just as, as like that's been his thing for a while. I feel like, but this one kind of like has a just like plods along as it goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This especially the back like the basically once it gets to uh yeah like after teenage sequencer which is the fourth track basically all of the remaining songs are slow songs like there's 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 not really a lot of like variance in pace yeah um and so that is the thing where i think that if you're not if you like what i would say is this is a record where you can put it on while you're doing like while you're doing other shit if you're like doing cleaning up the house or whatever obviously Mm -hmm. not working out but if you're like, uh, if you go for a walk or whatever, or go for a drive, you could put it on and, and like let it play out and you, things will will catch your ear in a certain way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely not as, um, 
the other thing, like the mountain goats comparison, I think is apt from uh, a certain perspective. I think the thing that that's a big difference between John Darnielle and Dave Bazan is mm. John Darnielle tries to fit a uh, fucking ocean's worth of words into every song mm-hmm. and yeah. dave bazan is very selective with his words like yeah like yeah. if you like read the lyrics to any of these tracks you'll be like oh he literally uses 74 words in yeah. this song or he really like he stretches mm-hmm. them out he makes them long <laughs> yes yeah like it's very like it, it there's not there's not a lot to um there's a lot to chew over because they're very mm-hmm. specific and they're very well selected but he's very he's like more like uh Jeez. He's more like Raymond Carver than John Cheever, I guess, to use a literary reference. Sorry, that was very pretentious. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he's very selective with his with his language. And, I mean, and so I, did, I didn't understand what you just said, but I thought that's it was fine. Cool you don't have hell. to. Some, some, yeah. Someone will get it uh, for sure. <laughs> but Travis, our perennial listener and friend, Travis will will get will get what you meant for <laughs> sure. Great, <laughs> he knows that um, kind of stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a very um, it's I don't know I think like I love every track I think like making the most of it is a great song I think that good feeling is like fucking devastating that might be like the saddest song he's ever written it's tough man like the on at the end of Phoenix Phoenix ends with that uh last the last song on Phoenix is the one the where the chorus is it's like about moving uh, away yeah leaving the valley where Mm. he says uh how do you stop Rolling Stone how how do you know when you're finally home where like the point of that song, I think now reading about this five album project where he's going to write about each of the places he lived as a kid, right? Like that song I think is written maybe about his father who was like a restless person who never, you know, obviously didn't pick a place to settle down with his family, even though he had two kids and everything like they kept fucking moving around, Mm -hmm. which is obnoxious. Um, But I think that's also a song that's very much about himself, right? Where he, at the time, is like, his marriage is falling apart. He's always away from his fucking wife and kids. His kids are growing. Um, He's always on the road because that's the only way he knows how to make money. And he's kind of just like, how do you know, like, when is enough enough, essentially, right? Like, that's the central question of that song. And good feeling is like him flipping that on its head, where what he's essentially saying is like, yeah, I get I, like I'm trying to put on a, a good face for how fucking awful this is. But it's a song where he's like he goes in his last swim in Lake Havasu um, is fucking obviously distraught and is like, yep, I'm burying a part of myself here that I'll never find again, essentially. And uh, or or I guess at the end, he lets himself off the hook a little bit because he he says like that's he's like found that part of himself now as a grown up. Like he's he's like finally like allowing that child. Right. Yeah. But um. I don't know. It's, it's heavy. It's a heavy record. Like there's a a lot heavy record. There's a lot here. And, um, yeah, I, I, I really love it. I mean, I think that it, like you said, it's not a light record. It's, it's not a record that you, uh, you know, you can listen to it and you can do other stuff and, and hear it, but things will catch your ear and you'll be like, Oh man. Um, like the song own Valentine is a song basically about self-love and self-worth and how, you know, he just never placed any value on himself, essentially. It's mm-hmm. like a, you know, where it's a story song, but it, it's a great, um, it kind of, it doesn't, and it doesn't name the, his faith as being one of the problems of that, but that's obviously what it is. I, I it just, yeah. there's a lot to dig on here. And I do think that in general, like David Bazan is, he's been making music now for 25, 25 years, years or something. yeah, something like that. Yeah. And he's not, uh, again, like 
a hundred thousand people are listening to him a month on Spotify. Like he's not ever, he does not have the acclaim or the, he's never gotten his flowers the way that other people have. Right. Yeah. Um, and that sucks shit. That's awful. Like, yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a great songwriter. He's, he's had a long career. He's worked very hard. Um, and where's some the of pitchfork Sunday review at the very least. For well, real. <laughs> so if you look at like Pitchfork's reviews of his early records, all they did was shit on him constantly. Yeah, they all, were like, all not, they did. not super positive. They not not super positive is the most understated way. Of saying <laughs> they, they like basically ridiculed him publicly for being Christian and for yeah. all sorts of stuff. Like they were so shitty to him yeah. specifically. Um, I mean, they're shitty to all music they perceived as emo or perceived as not cool, but yeah, there's still, a way that you know, like... <laughs> he was like a real target of their derision, which is, you know, they've not, I mean, he gets positive reviews now whenever he does anything from Pitchfork because it's eight generations later in the internet age and no one gives a shit anymore. And the people writing for that are closer to you guys' age than my age, obviously. Right. Mm. But, mm. um, but there's never been any real reconciliation. I mean, that's one of the things that's annoying about Pitchfork is there's never been any real reconciliation of like, yeah, we completely, you know, I mean, I don't know. I find that very obnoxious. Yeah, no, like they'll do that for, for like Taylor they, Swift. They did but, that big uh, re-review last year. Yeah. But it was all for like, yeah, like big records that like, you know, oh, the I mean, they're trying to get clicks, you know, that's the like, industry. Yeah. It's, uh-huh. it's what it is, but yeah. Um, you know, uh, they certainly but, have they is certain and especially around that time when he was releasing his early records, they certainly had a uh, a uh, institutional voice that was uh, yeah, that was in very the entertaining era where they they would yeah. more readily just totally shit on people. Yeah. Um, um, but I feel like that that probably wraps up the Havasu discussion, right? And we can start moving towards yeah. Unless you want to, I, I think I was going to say something. But I, totally, I was just going to say that I, I I do think it's time for him to to get his flowers um you know he's doing the this whole like cool project and i mean after digging into his old ones like yeah and he's so probably good, gonna you, finish you know, it under unlike some indie darlings like they, they, <laughs> <laughs> wow sufjan stevens is never gonna <laughs> never gonna be your friend now randy yeah he's on blast he's on blast god damn it <laughs> Um, but you know they did it for Pinkerton they can do it for control like uh, so I I think I mean I'm not even talking about Pitchfork in particular I just um, think that totally he's he's doing some great stuff and um, yeah great album and I'm excited to see what he does next yeah I I, will my closing thoughts on uh, on Havasu are that so I I have a list uh, uh, on Spotify of like my favorite David Bazan tracks that has like you know, songs from his whole career. I think it has 35, 35 songs on it. I'm looking at it now. And I put on, on this record to tell you how I feel about Havasu there. I put on of the 35, five of them are from Havasu. Mm, So, um, so I guess I think very highly, I think it, I think it includes some of the finest writing of his career. Like, and I, and I don't say that lightly. Um, and yeah, I, I think that there are, you know, there's so many great songs of his to check out and, um, yeah, if you haven't listened to Dave Bazan or Page of the Lion, uh, and you're into indie rock or singer songwriter stuff, um, definitely check him out and check out his music. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I second that. Well worth your time. Um, yeah, and and you you heard it here first. Mathematically, one seventh exactly of his songs of his best songs are from Havasu. <laughs> um, hey, some good math on the fly. <laughs> Um, yeah hey you know they call me the uh the um the don't show his work math guy (laughs) um (laughs) 
<laughs> that's what they call me. And on that note, we, I guess we'll move into um, a segment. A segment. Um, although I did kind of, I did kind of want to ask Chid, what did you think about that new Spoon record before mm. we get into this segment? Oh, I loved it. I, I think that it, I've only listened to it twice. I listened to it while I was working last Friday, mm-hmm. but it was so fucking good. I Hell was yeah. like shocked at how good it was. Not because yeah. I doubt Spoon ever, but like Hot Thoughts I thought was fine, but like kind of mm. like I was not wild about Hot Thoughts. I thought They Want My Soul was really good. Yes. And so I, I kind of expected Hot Thoughts to be, because they took a few years off between and everything, I kind of expected it to be similar wavelength. Um, But Hot Thoughts... What I'll say is like I put Spoon Records into two buckets. That's another band that like I, I was with Spoon since Girls Can Tell. They've been a band that I've liked since I was, you know, 15. Yeah. And uh, the two buckets I put the records in are like the uh, Girls Can Tell bucket and the Transference bucket. Yeah. Mm. Where Transference is a fine record. There's some good songs on that, but it just feels like a lesser record than a lot of their other records. I would say that like it's um, definitely pretty off putting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's stuff on that record where you're like, they've made production choices that are very bizarre and whatever. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, ga 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 ga. Put that with uh, with girls can tell. Uh, yeah. Hot thoughts. Put it with uh, transference. Right. Yeah, this yeah. new one feels to me like it's going to be in the in the former. It's very uh, bucket. good. Yeah. yeah. It seems very good. I don't know. The reviews are like kind of lukewarm on it, which seems strange. Like it's got a lot of like just straight up bangers, and it's fun and yeah, quick. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the yeah, I don't. I don't know why. I don't know are... what it is. Like maybe Spoon is just so consistent that like. Um... I think when 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 you're a band who's like so that like doggedly consistent, I think, and that's your reputation. I think at a certain point, people are gonna underrate you a little bit. Yeah. They're gonna be like, "Well, yeah. you're still doing the thing that you do, and it's good." But you know, you well, just don't change it they've, up enough. They've moved into their built to spill era where yeah, every right. built to spill record, people are like, pitchforks like, man, it's a 7.4. Yeah. It's, like, yeah, it's, it's still the same band. So I feel like yeah. recent mountain goats is like, they're really doing some great stuff, but, but they just can't get their, they, you know, yeah. it's the mountain goats. So what are you going to do? I mean, do? Like, goths, goths was pretty special, but in my opinion, but um, dark in here was good too, man. Dark in here is great. Yeah. I mean, look, they're all good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why we're experimenting. My, Mountain Goats is I my favorite era of Mountain Goats is the era that uh, immediately followed Sunset Tree where they did sure. um, Heretic Pride and then yes. uh, Life Heretic of the World to Come like Life of the World to Come is like a, a record that no one talks about by Mountain Goats because mm-hmm. it's like his Christian record so, yeah um, and as someone who does not like Christian music again or has no interest in it from a Christian perspective. I think that's like maybe his best record, or that might be my favorite of his. My favorite, yeah. There's some incredible songwriting, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Well, that's hey, that's Spoon talk. We got to talk about Spoon again on another episode, um, because yeah. I, I've, I have yet to really dig into that record, but it it is good. I'll yeah, yeah. I I need your I need your full thoughts, but um, spoon. There it is. Yeah, yeah. We we yeah we touched the spoon, um, and. So now we will move into the segment, which is so I know on your on your podcast, Shid, you don't ask people their age. You ask them when uh, how old they were when 9-11 happened here Correct. for this. The purposes of this segment, I'm going to ask you how old you were uh, or actually not even how old you were, what year it was. <laughs> so, OK, this is a mess already. What year was it when you graduated high school? <laughs> 
<laughs> the, year, the year I graduated high school was the year 2003. And Okay. in, in that year, there were uh, lots of, uh, there was lots of troop love happening. People were really supporting the troops back then. Yes. It was a big, big time for troops, I got to say. Yeah, I, I uh, remember that being the case. And so this segment is a little something we've never done before, but we like to call it charter school. And that is where we basically play the box office game where you try to guess the top five songs from the year that you graduated high school. Ooh, according to whom? According to Billboard. These are the Billboard Oh, okay. Okay. top five Okay. songs. Okay. Uh, all right. The Billboard top five songs the year I graduated from high school. Jeez, that is tough. Uh, it'd be easier if you asked me the top five pitchfork songs Yeah, that year. I don't know if I they did well, that back we then, could, though. uh, I'll, I'll No, see, no, 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 I'll no, see no. if that So exists. let's. I'll see if that exists, but we'll start with billboard. I'll see if that exists in the meantime. No, yeah. So billboard top five songs from that year. Uh, holy shit. Uh, was one of them. Can I, do I have to give you a song or can I just give you an artist? You can, Let's do an we artist. can do artists. We Yeah. can do artists. All Okay. right. Cause this is pretty, pretty broad. Yeah. Is one of them by Nelly? Uh, there's a, okay. So there is an artist whose name rhymes with Nelly. <laughs> Uh, is it? Oh, geez. and It... also is canceled. Whoa. Oh, hey, R. oh. Kelly. Yes. <laughs> He's in is the top it? five. What, which song was it? It's ignition. Ignition. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how about, uh, geez. Is there anything by ludicrous in the top five? No, 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 no Luda. Hmm. How about uh, Outcast? Is Hey Ya? Was that 2003? I think it was. Mm. I did not see Hey Ya. I got It definitely a weird was one. released that year, but maybe it wasn't in the top five. Uh, how about... Fuck. Um... Jeez. This is Okay. just top five overall. It, we're talking all, spanning all genres. Okay, so yes, Okay. I will give you I Can will I give give you a hint? a hint, which is that um I think every four all top four are rappers. one featuring Okay. a singer, and then one is a rock band. The Can I fifth song give... is a rock band. I'm going to give another hint. Okay. I don't have permission to do this, but it's okay. Uh, one of them was recently <laughs> performed at the Super Bowl. oh, yes. Upside Uh, down. is... Is... Uh, oh, uh, Well, that's... Okay. in the club? Is that one of them? Yes. That is... That's number Okay. one. That's number one, baby. That Then... was the number one song. The one that was recently... Is it like a... Is it by the way by the Chili Peppers? Is there a Chili Pepper song there? No, um, Okay, this the rock that was the also rock two band, thousand three. I want to say. the rock band that is featured is also featured in a new Hulu show about Motley Crue. News <laughs> to me. that uh, doesn't help you. Okay, Is it? um, they uh, they have a did uh, they have a okay. I'm just gonna give you the band, and you can see if you can guess the song. God. Three doors down. Is it kryptonite? No. Is it uh what a stupid era for music. Um <laughs> it's really wild I don't this know this song. i didn't look up this list beforehand obviously because i didn't know what year you graduated high school but this list is wild Yeah, it was not a great time. I mean, there's a reason why I was listening solely to like <laughs> punk and emo and indie rock at this at this stage of my life. Um yeah there's one song i think is quite good um give me it's a is it number i i don't four that you think is good Clint? oh yeah i can't i okay don't even think i can even name another three doors down song it's it's a when duet i'm gone by oh yeah okay some of some of the great billionaires in society 
Um, yeah, number four is a song by two of the great billionaires. Um, it's what's better than one billionaire? Two, especially when they're from the same hue as you. Does that help oh, at all? Geez. No, not even a little bit. I don't know okay. what that's even a reference to. <laughs> it's a Jay Z bar. Um, I need that. Uh, uh, in 2003, was it? Yeah. Uh, was it gir- girls? 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 The indie rock band? That <laughs> was, uh, was a Jay Z song from that oh, era. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, was it? Right. It's, oh, oh, it's actually. Shoulder? It is, is a it Beyonce song featuring Jay Z. Sorry, it's Crazy in Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you got okay. it. Okay, okay. And and with that, I think I'll just give you the rest because this is obviously a terrible segment where we've asked you to do something that's impossible. <laughs> I mean, it's it's also harder because my this we're talking about nineteen years ago, and my brain is uh, calcified a little bit since then. Yeah, that's that's very that's fair. fair. So number five, when I'm gone, three doors down. Number four, Crazy in Love, Beyonce featuring Jay Z. Number three, Get Busy by Sean Paul. No, I just um, <laughs> never would. I mean, it, truly, if you just said to me, this next one was introduced by Adrian Brody on SNL, where he was banned for life, I would have said, oh, Sean Paul, of course. <laughs> That's that. a very good pull. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. Um, uh, number two is Ignition by R. Kelly. And number one, Into Club by 50 Into Cent. Club. Yeah, 50 Cent was really big back then. Yeah, uh, what a year for music. It, it was a, Cent was like the biggest guy in the world yeah for for like two years and that it was, was it then it was strange it was a yeah. strange time <laughs> then um yeah i i'll never forget like there was a weird uh time around then where like i remember once going to a show at the worcester palladium or the worcester get Ladium, as we called it back then mm. um because we were all getting laid there of course that's i'm sure really. that's true yeah, uh, but we uh, we were there, and they had an upstairs and a downstairs, and I think I was seeing like I'll just say like piebald and recover upstairs, and okay. Sean Paul was playing downstairs, and it was like the weirdest mixture of you couldn't ask for a stranger uh, combination of two thousand adults. Very strange. Yeah. That's a yeah, hell of a vibe. Very strange. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of stuff like that at the time. It was a real it was a, a real time. Yeah. Um I'm looking at the the top 5 Pitchfork albums from 2003, which is maybe what we should have done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. wait, let me uh, guess those. Okay. Let me let me see if I can guess any of those. So 2003 um 2003 very notably was the year that nope, I'm thinking of 2004. 2003 was when uh, I know Transatlanticism came out that year, but I doubt that was in Pitchfork's top five because mm-hmm. they suck shit and they wouldn't have recognized that. I also don't think Give Up by the Postal Service was in their top five, even though that then dominated all of Indie mm. Rock for the next four years. Uh, was Is one of the records by Liars? <laughs> is no. there a, is Hail to the Thief in the top five? Yes, yes that is Hail number four. Uh, is... Um, Oh geez, what else? Going I'll be back amazed then. if you get number five. Yeah, there's some that I I, I just you like not, probably don't even recognize, I've right? Not heard you, of, yeah, yeah. The, the number three I think is is somebody who was referenced tonight on the show. Mm. Um, fellow fr- brother brother in Christ. Yes, um, yes. Also a Christian artist who did a long running project. <laughs> oh, is there? Is it? Uh, is it Seven Swans or is it? Uh, Greetings from Michigan. 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 Yeah. yeah. That's okay. Right. Yeah. Whatever it's called. 
Um, so he was there. Jeez, uh, is there a Fiery Furnaces record, or was that like a year later? Is Funeral came out in two thousand four, right? So it's not Funeral. Yeah, two thousand four. Yeah. yeah, I think that was their number one album. But I'm yeah, not it has sure. to be. Uh, uh, is Trail of Dead in the top of two thousand three? No, no two thousand two. I think that's uh, two thousand two. Yeah, that was two thousand two. I'm just trying to think of things they gave very high reviews to at the time. Um, what uh, the number? Is, the number one. I feel like you might be able to get because it is like a a post punk or like dance punk record that I feel like is is like totally forgotten now but like to people who were around then is like was it was just massive is it hot hot heat uh is it make up the breakdown by hot hot heat no (laughs) is it by is it franz ferdinand this 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 band only had like one album that connected and uh it's all like sort of their faces on the cover don't know this (laughs) it's the black background you don't know this record no i don't oh my god um, let me know if you just want me to say it. Is it, um, uh, is it electric six? No. Is it, uh, junior senior? No. These, these are, are all these are bands guesses. of that era. These oh, the rapture. Guesses. Is it the rapture? It's the rapture. Yes. I knew you could do it. Oh, I knew it. Yeah. What a, <laughs> again, like, but here's the thing about this. This is what annoys the shit out of me about pitchfork again. Like they want to be tastemakers, but yeah. I named five other records that people still talk about from then. When was the last time you heard any motherfucker mention the Rapture to you? The the band, is, I'm sorry, not it. the Rapture of Christ. I've never yeah, heard of it. No, this. when I was when I was um <laughs> when I was an an admin of a uh music fan page wow. on Facebook in 2010 is yeah. probably the last time I heard about the Rapture. Yeah, it's that's the thing is like if you look through their year of their best of the year lists for any given year, like if you go back, you know, nine years, say or more, and you look at their like top 10, you'll be like, what the what the fuck? Like they they their consensus picks are awful. Like they're never really it's not that they're not representative of what some people were into because the rapture was very popular, especially very popular in New York and probably Mm -hmm. Chicago or whatever. Yeah, but like. They were not, um, there were so many, like the things in 2003 that were huge as the year ended, right? The things that were like micro trends or things that were very big at the time, uh, because I was there, I remember very closely as a freshman in college, I had my finger on the pulse of all this shit. 2003 was when, uh, Ben Gibbard like finally exploded. So that was when Give Up came out. And also that was when, uh, Transatlanticism came out. So like Ben Gibbard's whole shit was like, he was like the hottest thing in indie rock at the time, essentially. So very big, but obviously not recognized by Pitchfork. Mm-hmm. Another thing was the strokes were still fucking massive. Like people loved the fucking strokes, which is, uh, sounds crazy, but they were really popular. Like everybody loved the strokes. <laughs> it was they a very saved, big they deal saved at the rock time. and roll. They were the next uh, Rolling so Stones. Yeah. yeah, it was a really big deal. Really, really big. <laughs> Uh, like I remember seeing Kevin Devine and him talking about like I went to a Strokes concert last weekend and like people like other bands would talk about seeing the Strokes. Yeah. The Darkness came out in two thousand three and that yeah. the Darkness record was like a <laughs> micro trend of like this throwback seventies rock that was like ironic. It was also fucking huge and had huge crossover success. Yeah, is on yeah. the top and, fifty. Yeah, yeah, and then also in the in the that era. And, and where's that the, love for Greta Van Fleet today? Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> I'm just going to keep banging the Greta Van Fleet drum. <laughs> the other thing that was really big back then was um, 2003 was the year that a whole bunch of emo and like screamo bands signed to major labels. 
So 2003 was like when Thrice and Thursday, I believe, put out their first major label records. So like that was like a very big thing that was like a big music industry story. I don't think Pitchfork gave a shit about it, and it, maybe rightfully so because none of the, none of those bands actually broke through. But that like without that happening, we wouldn't have had Fallout Boy and Attack mm. Attack and every all the other horse shit that came later. So yeah. I'll just put that out there. I don't I don't <laughs> maybe for better or worse, right? But like without this big like um, crossover success, there's no My Chemical Romance. There's there's none of that bullshit. Yeah. So oh, anyway. No, I th- I think that's totally true. Um, as somebody, yeah, I think people people of our age, a uh, lot of affection for My Chemical Romance and Fallout Boy, but I I respect you um, you having the high ground on that because um, <laughs> I don't I mean it's there like Fallout Boy the first time I heard them so I I it was there was a website called musicindustrynews.net or some bullshit in 2003 also that I would go to every day and it was just like. A couple of people, they had like two or three contributors, and there were a couple of people in who like mm. worked in AR. They were probably like uh like interns in AR who had this website. And they would just like share like leaks of demos that bands had sent to labels, and they would talk about like when bands were signing and, and shit like that. It was the most compelling thing I had to do in this year, believe me. Like there, there was nothing more interesting than going to this website. But anyway, Fallout Boy, when their demo came out. I remember like listening to the first couple songs from their demo and being like, oh, this band's going to be huge. Like I could tell right away like that mm-hmm. they were going to be fucking huge. And so I put one of the songs was the song called Saturday. I don't know if that ever ended up on any of their records, but I put it on a mixtape for this girl who I was friends with who loved pop punk. Mm-hmm. Um, her boyfriend was the lead singer of the band The Receiving End of Sirens before he quit that band. Anyway, not that yeah. you guys have heard of them because who gives a shit? But uh, I put it on a mixtape for her and she like was like, this song's amazing. And I was, and she's like, do they have a record out? And I was like, no, they're not signed yet. They're going to be signed soon. They're going to be huge. But anyway, like there's stuff like that where like I, I could see the appeal of them right away. But it, I was it was I was already too far gone and in, into other shit at that point. Basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that makes total sense. Um, yeah, I have but... a hard time imagining myself. I don't know what the modern day equivalent would be of something that I just can't be bothered with maybe 100 gex except that i do like 100 yeah, gex you so, love the gex i'm um, i'm the old curmudgeon with them yeah love them i i think they're great my son is oh, super hello. into them too yeah he's five and he thinks they're awesome he thinks they're the coolest thing he's ever heard that that totally checks out yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. i don't even think they're gex. bad i just don't find myself no, listening just, to them you don't want to be um, bothered with it. it's not it's not your speed you know yeah um but yeah. that's there's always bands like that that are super polarizing and very uh avant-garde i'll just say like i think that they are the 100 gex is like the next wave of uh what the f- name was the name of that fucking band the one that had the record the money store um, oh death grips death grips, death yeah. grips. yeah same band like I'm, i mean <laughs> sonically yeah. not the same band but same they fill the same void in society right totally, yeah. yeah and they're 100%. the same band as like blood brothers was the band that was that band when i was 18 same thing yeah like yeah. there's always bands like that that are like this uh like kind of challenging i'll just say is maybe a nice word for it yeah. uh and who are doing ironic or deeply ironic or interesting uh varied things and you know some people are into it and some people are not into it but yeah for sure those bands always fizzle out fairly quickly also is the other piece of that so mm, yeah 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 they burn they burn hot and bright yeah um yeah i think um should we should we wrap it up yeah i do believe okay so So i do think that that will that will do us for another episode of good listeners you got any recommendations oh 
Me? Yeah. Oh, you want to? Oh, you want to do like um, well, Ani Menchies? I don't have any. So. <laughs> okay. Glad you brought it up then. <laughs> just put me on the spot. We, we usually. I um, felt like I had to stop it because we usually do that. Um, I don't yeah. have any. So. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, the new Beach House record is out. I listened to it once today for the first time. And, you know, it's Beach. They're like, you know, they're the spoon of of dream pop. You know, they're doing their thing and it's good. Um, If you know if you like Beach House or not, you don't need me to tell you. Yeah, (laughs) Um, that's a good point. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, off the top of your head, any any recent recs for you, Chid? Yeah, I the new Big Thief record is really good. I guess it's, that's it's like amazing. Yeah, that's like saying like the new Radiohead record is good in 2005. But um, so sure, like, yeah, I guess I'm not that clever in saying this, but it's a good record. Big Thief is a band that I have a mixed mixed feelings about in general. Like, I think that I have some of the records I've not been. I don't think I'm the target demo for them, basically. But the mm. new record is, is great. It's really good. It's also not so self-serious. It's very funny. There's like lots of silly stuff on it. Yeah, but um, infinity rules. Yeah, great song, but uh, it's it's good. It's like a it's a it's a cool and very big hearted and uh, interesting record, and has really good melodies and and it's more than I ever would have expected from that band when Capacity came out. Like when that record came out or whatever it was called, their that first like big one. I was kind of like, oh, I don't you know, I feel like they're gonna do one kind of lo-fi thing for forever, and this is obviously not that. So I'm very happy that they've had yeah. a chance to refine and do new stuff, which is cool. Um. That's yeah. that's my recommendation. My other recommendation is uh, listen to the podcast Rounding Down. It's a show that yes. I do every uh, week. It comes out weekly on Wednesdays with my uh, co-host Saifi Eddie. And we uh, talk about music a lot. We talk about movies sometimes. We let our guests pick the topic. So sometimes the shows are bad and that's 100% the guest's fault. No pressure. Uh, Clay, <laughs> we have to have you on the show. Oh, um, but also, yeah, we're doing a, a 12-hour we're doing 12 episode records in a row on Saturday, this Saturday. Uh, those are going to be released each week, uh, one at a time for uh, over the course of of 12 weeks, uh, probably beginning in, we'll start releasing them probably in April, I would guess. And yeah. so I'm, I'm taking the summer off from recording. Uh, but we'll, all this to say, uh, Cy and I will both be going um, absolutely batshit crazy by hour 11, I'm guessing. So Yeah, which, which I think... Uh, if the schedule holds, I will be on around hour 10 getting very drunk on your show. Um, Can't wait. Clay, you're so, coming on too? Um, is, yeah, I would love to. Yeah, get on. You guys get, you live together. Get on. You're, you're yeah. always welcome. Come on. It's a power hour. I mean, I'm, I don't drink alcohol, which hence this root beer, sure. but uh, it's yeah. a power hour for you guys. I'm, I'm going to be drinking probably like a uh, Red Bull or something at that point. There you go. Hey, Excellent. 60 wow. shots of Red Bull. That'll make you feel very exciting. Up. So. Yeah, in uh, rounding down great podcasts, so definitely yeah. check that out. Um, and, and for my recommendation, I want to shout. I think uh, I was going to say Black Country New Road, although I think we'll hopefully talk about that in a, in a soon episode. Yeah, we'll we'll talk um, about that one. The, the new Chris Farron album. Um, oh yeah, very it's cool called. Record. It has some fucking James Bond name, uh, but it, it's it's basically a concept album where he makes in an instrumental movie soundtrack uh death don't wait that what that's what it's called it, it, um it's like a spy movie soundtrack and, and chris farron is someone i've liked for a long time just as a person uh he collaborates with you know jeff rosenstock and I think there's a laura stevenson feature a lot of people who mm-hmm. I like a lot uh and it's just really really fun a, a really fun idea and um we were just listening to it like friday or something and i 
uh, it's when you're listening to a record and laughing at it and it's just instruments playing i mean that's a special experience i think mm. um so i only listened to it the once so uh, those are just fresh impressions it's very good listen to the Chris yeah Farron, it's an incredibly fun record uh, and uh, it only takes up a very short period very, very of your fun time project um so um, it's it's a fun one mm. and mm-hmm. i think that's about it yeah that about does it we we also we uh you know we would love to have sigh on as well and look forward to no don't have him on never don't he's on don't invite him on the show if if i knew you're gonna invite that motherfucker on the show i would tell you to delete this episode well i mean hmm okay Uh, well you know we might do that by accident um we're pretty bad at this but (laughs) but uh yeah i also need to uh i need to follow up with sigh because he recommended me an album when i was on your podcast the first time and I never told him how I felt about it, even though I listened to it uh, and enjoyed it. Um, mm. And I feel like that was very rude of me. Um, so I need to I need to message Sai at some. He's point. been telling me that you're he, lately, like every day, he sends me a te- not a DM, a text where he's like, "Fuck Randy, so rude." Didn't <laughs> oh, tell me how no. he felt about that record. This is this is my worst nightmare. Um. <laughs> you, you don't want to fuck with guys from the Northeast, man. Like we're Rhode Island tough guys, and we don't take any shit, as you can probably tell. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. I, I can feel it. I'm going to get thrown in a trash can sometime very soon. Um, and, and by two old men and the trash can is going to be full of, uh, Taylor ham. Is that what you guys eat up there? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yes. Taylor ham slash pork roll. Uh, okay. I call it Taylor ham as a troll move, but you guys should call it Taylor ham also. It really annoys people from Philadelphia and okay. most of New Jersey. Yeah. Huh. Great. I love that. We will have Scion. That'll do us for another episode. Oh, and look, and of course, look forward to, uh, to Clay and myself on the, the power hour on rounding down. Um, I feel like Chid and Sai will be very fed up with our shit at that point. And also we will be doing a power hour. Um, with uh i think shake and theo two guys who seem very cool and funny but we don't know at all so we'll be getting very drunk with uh they're the best you'll love um yeah i'm sure i'm sure they're fantastic um and it'll be a lot of fun and it'll be a great episode so look forward to that and uh you can find the show um at good listener pod on twitter you can email us at goodlistenerpod at gmail.com you can find me at randallorian underscore you can find clay at uh, it's not crow posting anymore. What is it? Uh, Clay J. Williams. It's at Clay J. Clay Williams. Um, and uh, that is it. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Chid. Thanks so much for coming yeah, on. Yeah. Thank you so Real much fun. for being on the show, Chid. Um, appreciate you making time for it. Appreciate us. you. Thanks All for right. having me. Had a great time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.